0: I like Texas this upcoming year, I do, Uh, but double-digit games, to get the 10 wins would be a phenomenal accomplishment for Steve Sarkisian and his staff. Hello and welcome to a Friday edition of Always College Football. I'm your host, Craig McElroy, along with me, as always, Mark Kubiak and Jack Foster. Appreciate you coming to us from wherever you're coming to us from, whether that's somewhere internationally where our numbers continue to go up. I don't know why. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you subscribing to the podcast. Please continue to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Or if you're here with us on the YouTube channel, hit that thumbs up right below the video. It helps us out. Send us a comment too if you have a question or two. We'd love to get those into the show. A lot that we need to get to our season of spring football continues. We have breakdowns, teams that are going to get underway here in the next couple days that we're going to continue to dive into. A couple of big programs today that have pivotal springs coming up here in the next couple months. The Texas Longhorns. What are things going to look like for Steve Sarkeesian in year number three? And the Clemson Tigers. Dabo Sweeney, new offensive coordinator, going to be breaking in Garrett Riley. Going to be trying to accelerate the development of a young star at quarterback, potentially. So a lot that we need to get to with those two programs. We're also going to do BYU. They jump into the Big 12 this year. And then finally, last but not least, we will get to North Carolina. Can they improve just a little bit on defense? Because you know they're going to score some points. So a lot that we need to get to when it comes to our spring previews. Let's not waste any time. Let's talk about it. All right, let's start off with the team I just referenced, telling you they're not last. They actually won their division last year, and there's reason for optimism in Chapel Hill with what's coming up here in the next couple months. Spring football getting underway, and it's nice to know that you're heading into spring with an established Heisman Trophy contender at quarterback. Drake May returns after what was a terrific year in his first year as a starting quarterback. Now, things are a little bit different now because Phil Longo, formerly the OC, he's now calling plays for the Wisconsin Badgers, which means Chip Lindsey is going to be calling plays for North Carolina. Can he get on the same page with Drake May here in these 15 spring practices to bring out what was a very, very, very talented signal caller last year. I'm very excited about that matchup. And look, they need to establish probably as much as anything else. They got to establish who's going to be their number one weapon at wide receiver. Because last year, look, you knew it was going to be Josh Downs. Like, all right, when in doubt, Josh Downs is getting the ball. That's great. You don't have that luxury anymore. You went out you attacked the portal. You bring in Nate McCollum from Georgia Tech. You go bring out, Devontae Walker from Kent State. Those two guys, maybe 1A, 1B, maybe mix into the guys that are already there. Depending on what the pecking order is going to be in the wide receiver room, at least you have a couple of key pieces that have contributed to high-level college football already in the past. So we know we feel good about their offense. Moving to the defensive side of the football, Gene Chizik has his work cut out for him. Things didn't go great in year number one for Gene Chiswick, they allowed nearly 31 points per game. They ranked last in the ACC in pass efficiency defense. They got to improve on that side of the ball. There were moments in which it looked like they might take a stride or two, but those moments were few and far between. Collectively, from top to bottom, they have to get better at all three levels defensively if they're going to repeat last year's excellent performance and if they want to take a step it feels like North Carolina could take a step this year if their defense improves just a little bit feels a little bit like Ole Miss a few years ago where they could score a bunch of points but their defense couldn't get off the field well the next year their offense scored a bunch of points again but the defense was a little bit better and what happened they were rewarded with a trip to the Sugar Bowl same could be said for Tennessee this past year two years ago they scored a lot of points the defense wasn't very good the, ten, the following year, 2022, Tennessee's defense improves. Tennessee's offense continues to score a lot of points. They find their way into the Orange Bowl and ultimately win the Orange Bowl against the Clemson Tigers. Maybe that's the next step for North Carolina. So you can just get just a little bit better on defense. Get, you know, say from the hundreds into, say, the 70s. That could be the difference in one or two, maybe three wins. And if you get one or two, maybe three wins more, you're looking at a possibility of getting not just to a New Year's Six Bowl game, but an outside shot of maybe getting to the college football playoff. So we shall see how much they can improve on that side of the ball because if they do, look out. North Carolina could be a dangerous team in the ACC. All right, BYU is next up. And like we talked about earlier this week about Houston, BYU is jumping into a new league. Spring practice starts for them on the 6th of March. I'm excited about this transition. I've talked about BYU glowingly for a long time. I respect the heck out of that program. And I think they are as well-equipped to transition into the Big 12 as any of the new members. That includes a former playoff team in Cincinnati. That includes a former national champion in UCF. And that includes what I think is a team with maybe the highest ceiling of all the different new entrance into the Big 12, the Houston Cougars, because of the deep pockets that they have and because of the part of the country that they occupy. I think BYU, though, as of right now, might be the most well-equipped to make this transition. It's going to come down a lot to the quarterback position. Keaton Slovis transfers over from Pitt. Last year for Keaton Slovis, a little bit of an up-and-down situation. He started his career at SC... Everything in 2019 was a thing of beauty for Keaton Slovis as a young player. Then he transferred to Pitt and last year, not, not terrible, you know, not terrible by any stretch of the imagination, but it really wasn't that consistent Threw for nearly 2,400 yards, but had just 10 touchdown passes and also threw nine picks in the process as well. He needs to look like the version that took the field as a true freshman, Back in 2019, that was the best version of himself. And he's going to have to do so without Puka Nakua, who was the leading receiver this past year for BYU. Granted, only 625 yards, but either way, he heads to the next level. He was very, very solid. And if the passing game struggles, and it's very, you know, real possibility that maybe the passing game isn't completely exceptional then they might have to lean heavily on the run game. Aiden Robbins, he was a 1,000-yard ball carrier last year for UNLV. He now could become the feature back for BYU. Can he be a bell cow? That's something we need to find out here in the spring as well. So I look at BYU. I think they're going to be fine on defense. Should be pretty decent at all three levels. But offensively, they got to be able to replace Jaron Hall, which won't be easy. The good news is they have a veteran in Keaton Slobus, and you gotta be able to create some balance when the run game. Maybe that's what Aiden Robbins will be able to do as he comes over from UNLV. All
1: right, you referenced it, but bold prediction for BYU, they will be the most successful of the new Big Twelve teams. Fair or unfair?
0: See, the problem with this, I say the most well equipped does not mean most successful. Success can be defined only by wins and losses, I think. Even though I Kind of sometimes think not all losses are created equal, but that's a conversation for a different day. I think they're most well equipped right now to handle the gauntlet that they're going to experience. The jump into the power five is no joke. It's a big difference. You can deny that. You can say that's not true. All right, we'll find out. Maybe, just maybe, they'll be able to transition seamlessly. They've seen Pac 12 teams for a long time, they've played four. Pack twelve teams and it fared really well in those games in recent years. They've played Big Twelve teams. They've gone to Tennessee and won. Like they've done a lot. BYU is not going to back down from anyone. They're in anywhere, anytime, any place type of outfit, and I respect the heck out of them for that. But when you look at their schedule, their schedule is really tricky. I think you have to go to Oklahoma State. You get Oklahoma. Oklahoma should be a much better football team in this upcoming season. Iowa state comes to them. That's a game that they can certainly win. You have to go to West Virginia. That'll be a little tricky for sure. You have to go to Texas. That'll be tricky for sure. You get Texas tech at your place. You draw TCU. Kansas was a bowl team a year ago. You got to go to Kansas. I just think their schedule is far more difficult than what Cincinnati has to experience. Cincinnati gets to face all three of the other new entries into the Big 12. They get to face UCF. They get to face Houston. They get to face BYU. Cincinnati's schedule is more manageable. So I think Cincinnati, if we're going to define success by wins and losses, I think Cincinnati's win-loss record has a chance to be better than that of BYU in year number one. I really believe that. Doesn't mean that I think Cincinnati's better than BYU. Doesn't mean that I think Cincinnati will beat BYU because since he plays BYU in Provo, they on September 29th. I'm taking BYU in that game. But ultimately, I think as we fast forward to the end of the season, Cincinnati might have a better win-loss record, which would lead you to believe that they actually had the better season when taking into account just how well they fared on a week-to-week basis as they make this transition. It's the sound to start selling on Shopify. Shopify covers every sales channel from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth, Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills in design or code. And thanks to 24-7 help and an extensive business course library, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. Now it's your turn to get serious about selling and try Shopify today. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com ACF. All lowercase. Go to shopify.com ACF to take your business to the next level today shopify.com slash ACF. All right, moving on now to a team that has legitimate college football playoff aspirations here in 2023. That would be the Clemson Tigers. They start practice here a couple days from now on March the 6th. Where are the Clemson Tigers? Because I, for one, don't think the sky is falling. I, for one, don't think they've regressed as a program. And I still think this team, now are they going to win national championships here in the next year or two? It's tough for me at right now. It's tough for me right now to tell you yes, without question, they are going to win championships in the next couple of years. I don't know, but I don't think this team is done contending on an annual basis. I don't. Now they got to get better quarterback play. They got to get more out of their offense. They got to find some significant difference makers at wide receiver. But you look at some of their roster last year, they're pretty young, especially a wide receiver, and they might be well positioned to have a lot of success at that position here, not just in 23, but also in 24. Kate Clubnick's going to have some young guys that he took the field with last year. He's only going to be able to continue to develop that rapport with those young guys as they get a little bit older. You look at the run game. Garrett Riley comes over from TCU. Much of the praise heaped upon him last year was because of how well Max Duggan played. He's going to be in charge of trying to get the most out of Cade Klubnik, And I think he will. His system is extremely quarterback friendly. They're going to use some tempo. They're going to utilize the run game. It's going to be about dictating what the defense does. And you have to make a choice. Every time Garrett Riley puts a formation on the field, the defense has to make a choice. You take away the run or you take away the pass. Well, if you take away the pass, guess what? We're going to run down your throat with Will Shipley. Take away the run. Perfect. We're going to throw it. We're going to win our one-on-ones with our perimeter skill and our weapons that should be improved here in this upcoming season. That's what Garrett Riley's going to do. And the fact that Cade Klubnick is an effective runner only compounds the challenges to try to defend this new look Clemson offense. So I'm very optimistic about what they're going to be offensively. I think they're in a really good spot. It's a perfect hire for Dabo Sweeney to allow Garrett Riley to step right in and to kind of reinvigorate this group offensively. The one thing I need to see more of from Clemson, they talked last year about the emphasis on trying to create a physical presence along the offensive line. This is not always been a super physical offensive line unit. it never been that way. It's just not who they are. But they have to be that way moving forward. You got Jordan McFadden at left tackle. You have some pretty decent guy, size guys along the offensive line. And you got Will Shipley at running back. You have to be able to run the football. They need to be more physical. They need to get downhill with more urgency. And the offensive line needs to play at a level that's much more consistent and much higher than they did throughout the course of this past season where they had some good moments, but they also had some forgettable moments as well. Moving to the defensive side of the football, I'm not worried at all. (laughs) I know you lose Trenton Simpson. I know you lose Miles Murphy. I know you lose Brian Brzee. I'm just not worried. I look at culturally what has been built on that side of the ball at all three levels, I'm not concerned. They might not have the front-line, take-over-the-game, defensive line talent that they've had at times in the past, but they're still going to be really good. Still have some really talented players at all three levels. It'd be great if you had two or three more Trenton Simpsons waiting in the wings. Maybe they do. At this point, that's a little bit of an unknown. I like some of the young players that played a bunch of snaps last year, and I really like Wes Goodwin. The defensive coordinator, he does a phenomenal job of creating some advantages for his guys and creating matchups for his guys defensively. So I think they're in a really good position. You also had some young players on the perimeter at corner that should only take an additional step here coming up this year. So defensively, Clemson should be in great shape. But this offense in the spring needs to come together needs to establish an identity, and needs to continue to emphasize being physical in the run game. If they can do those three things, then it'll
1: be a successful spring for the Clemson Tigers. All right, Clemson, bold prediction heading into the spring. Garrett Riley will turn around the Clemson offense, and the Tigers will be the number one team heading into the college football playoff. Why are you always about the playoff? By the way, can we like? I mean, goodness gracious!
0: These bold predictions, it's always like playoff, Heisman, like goodness. Where do you get your Where do you get your hot takes?
1: Sorry, uh, I worked at ESPN for a couple of years.
0: Yeah, that'll, that's you uh, worked with Feinbaum, worked at ESPN. You know, watched these you know shows that are all about you know superlatives. It's always about the superlatives: best, worst, worried. I mean, no. Here's where I'm at with Clemson. I think Clemson has a real chance of getting to the college ball playoff. No doubt about it. Uh, I don't know. Uh, anyone, to be honest with you, that doesn't believe they can get there. I mean, I, everyone that I know that has watched Clemson, that has covered Clemson, feels confident about them getting there. But it's not about getting there if you're Clemson. Clemson's goals are to win the thing when they get there. And they've been able to do that twice in the last handful of years. Pretty good spot to be in 16 and 18, two phenomenally good teams. When I look at the roster compared to 16 and the roster compared to what they had in 18, I don't think the roster is what it was in those two seasons. Now, maybe they have some young players that are waiting to blossom. I'd love it if that's the case. I am not optimistic that is the case at this point. Look at the depth along the defensive line that was on that roster in 2018. Look at the depth at wide receiver that was on that roster in 2016 and in 2018. Those are things. And by the way, look at the quarterbacks. Both are franchise quarterbacks in the NFL. Now, can Cade Clubnick be that? Hopefully, maybe. We'll find out very, very soon. But I like their chances of at least getting to the postseason and potentially punching their ticket to the college football playoff. I think they can win at Duke in week number one. That's a Monday. I think they can win against Charleston Southern. I think they can win against FAU. I'm not, I'm not breaking you know, any news here, I might add. You got Florida State at home. That'll be September 23rd. You're gonna be- you have to ramp things up and get things ready because that is a make or break game when it comes to this prognostication. They lose that one, the likelihood of getting to the college football playoff, I think, is extremely slim. But you get Florida State at home, and you get them early. Clemson's at Syracuse the following week. That'll be September 30th. I hate where that falls on the schedule for Clemson, and we know that Syracuse has given Clemson fits in the past. I especially hate it knowing it's going to be coming off of an emotional game against Florida State the week before. Wake Forest, that was a great game last year. I don't know if it'll be as good this year as it was last year. You go to Miami on October 21st, tough game. You got a chance to potentially go on the road against NC State, that'll be a really tough game. Notre Dame at home, that'll be a tough game. Notre Dame, of course, waxed them last year. Georgia Tech, that should be a win. North Carolina at Clemson should be a game they should win, but North Carolina has given them fits in the past as well. And then finally, they go on the road to South Carolina. So you look at the schedule. If you told me, hey, Greg, will Clemson go to the playoff? Right now, it's difficult for me to forecast that. I see at least one loss on that schedule. At least one. But I am cautiously optimistic that the offense will be significantly better than they were in 2022. And if the offense is significantly better, the defense isn't going to have to pitch shutouts en route to victory. So I think they can beat anyone on their schedule, but I also think there's three or four teams that they could lose to as well. If I had to pick it right now, I got Clemson at 10-2, and two, narrowly missing the college football playoff here in 2023. All right, finally moving to the Lone Star State, the Texas Longhorns will get underway just a couple days from now. With their spring practice. It's a very simple question that's going to be had. Quinn Ewers against Arch Manning. Now, are we as media members sensationalizing this quarterback competition? Or is it a real thing? I'd like to find that out myself. Because, let's be honest, Arch Manning's recruitment has been one of the most documented, highly scrutinized, highly publicized recruitments in the history of our sport. When you have the last name Manning, (laughs) and when you have the talent that Arch has, every single aspect of your recruitment is going to move the needle. He's now a Texas Longhorn. Quinn Ewers looked really good at times last year. You look at how he played early on in the Alabama game prior to giving way to, with, after injuring his shoulder and allowing Hudson Carr to take it the rest of the way. He looked really good in that game. You look at how he played against Oklahoma. He looked really good in that game. You fast forward to the middle to latter half of the season. Started with the Oklahoma State game and it all felt like it was downhill from there. Oklahoma State, TCU, uh, some of the performances down the stretch, Washington, A lot of missed throws, a lot of inconsistent performance. It's almost like he kind of lost his mojo a little bit, which, by the way, it happens. It happens. Now he has to take the next step and his productivity has to be consistent because when Steve Sarkeesian's putting a plan together, he's now going to have to put more on the quarterback position. Why? Because you're without a complete game changer at running back. Bijan Robinson, every single time out, you knew he was going to bring it. You knew what he was going to be able to provide. You knew what he was going to do to the opposing defense, not just running the football, but the matchups that he could create in the passing game as well. He isn't alone, by the way. Roshan Johnson, also gone for this Texas team. So they lose not one, but two difference-making running backs. Now, Jonathan Brooks, leading returning rusher, only had thirty carries, but still leading returning rusher. He's back, Keelan Robinson. He's back. Was at one point member of the Alabama Crimson Tide. Rushed for over three hundred yards in twenty twenty one. So he's a name to keep an eye on as well. You got a five star in Cedric Baxter. Maybe he can step right in. This is a position where you can step right in and be the dude from day number one. You also have, I uh, I think you know a guy in Savion Red. That might be a little bit of a guy that you can kind of tweak and move around, played some receiver, play some running back, kind of move around and and create matchup opportunities for him. You also know you can create matchup opportunities with Xavier worthy guys, the real deal, great speed, sometimes a little inconsistent with the hands every once in a while. But either way, a guy that's going to create a ton of separation and a guy that Quinn missed, uh, far too often for my liking last year, especially there at times down the stretch. Biggest questions for Sark. One, can they be better along the offensive line? Little inconsistent with that group at times last year. Hopefully they can sure that up. Two, who's your quarterback? Simple as that. Is it Quinn Ewers? Is it Arch Manning? Is it Quinn Ewers at the start and maybe give way to Arch Manning? Do you decide to go young? I don't think you have that luxury. I think you got to win now. So going with the guy that can win now and best positions you to win now, that's the direction you have to go. And three, how do you create the same level of effectiveness out of the running back spot as you were able to create the last couple of years? No one's expecting anyone to jump right in and be B. John Robinson. No one's expecting that. But if you can go about it as a committee type approach, you might be able to replenish his production if the offensive line can continue to improve. So cautiously optimistic with Texas. You got to replace on Overshone on defense. You got to replace Kendrick Coburn on defense. You got to replace some key pieces on defense for sure. But I think they have enough guys that were in the rotation last year that the defense should be about the same, if not maybe slightly better in certain spots than they were a year ago. I think it's all about the offense, man. They got to score points. They got to get more out of the quarterback spot and they got to replenish some key playmakers that have departed for the NFL draft this past offseason.
1: All right. Bold prediction for Texas heading into spring. The Longhorns will win double-digit games for the first time since the 2018 season. I mean, you can't possibly believe that that's going to happen.
0: I mean, you just can't. Like, I I, I like Texas this upcoming year. I do. Uh, But double-digit games? To get the 10 wins would be a phenomenal accomplishment for Steve Sarkeesian and his staff. Now, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. You get two games in the first three weeks between Rice and Wyoming. You go to Alabama. Two and one, probably best case scenario. I think likely case scenario, I might add. You got at Baylor. That's been a tricky game for Texas. That's September 23rd. Baylor should be better this year, but either way, it's no guarantee. You got Kansas at home. Should be a game that Texas wins. Worst case scenario right now, you're sitting at three and two best case scenario, four and one at this point. If you're the Texas Longhorns, Oklahoma neutral site, Oklahoma should be better. Texas handled them last year. Should be a completely different game. That game's a toss up. No denying that you're at Houston should be a game that you win, but obviously that's a massive game for the Houston Cougars to have the Texas Longhorns there in Houston in their stadium. That's an enormous game. You get BYU at home, Kansas state at home, no guarantees into one of those two games. I think Kansas State game is a little bit more of a toss-up than the aforementioned BYU game. Then you go to TCU. will be a very difficult game. We know how TCU's fared against Texas in recent years. At Iowa State, that'll be a very difficult game. Ames is really tricky, especially on November 18th. And then finally, you finish up with the team that beat you a year ago with Texas Tech. They're in Austin this year, however, which, of course, we know is a little bit trickier. So when you look at everything, I think Texas probably an eight and four, nine and three football team. Uh, if they can get to ten, it would be massive, massive. It'd be a great year for Steve Sarkeesian and Co. Great, great year. But nine and three, eight and four, probably a little bit more likely and a little bit more realistic as Texas heads into twenty twenty four. When I think they could take a legitimate leap, even though they're going to have to do so in a very difficult league, being the SEC. All right, as we always appreciate all the different questions that you guys have sent to us at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. Please continue to send those things in. We're getting our mailbag questions. We're going to start checking them off one at a time, two at a time, as we continue to navigate throughout the spring season. So, Coops, let's kick
1: it off. All right, first question comes from Linda in Florida. She asks, is it, is it a realistic possibility that Florida finishes last in the SEC East this year? They lost to Vanderbilt last year and I'm not feeling very excited about the season's possibilities. I think there are a lot of question marks around Florida.
0: I'd be really surprised if they finished last. I'll just be honest. I'd be really surprised. Now, they have a lot to figure out. They have a lot of things to improve upon. Consistency being, you know, maybe the biggest thing. But at the same time, Billy Napier has been a builder in the past. You would anticipate a step This year. Now, a step does not necessarily mean a leap. A step means a slight step, a culture building year, a foundational building year. Talked about it earlier this week. Florida, as much as this is going to pain them to hear, Florida needs to take the Florida State model of progress and patience. Florida State, Mike Norvell, came down, inherited what was a horrendous situation. No talent, very little discipline, very inconsistent play across the board at every single position, and it took time. But Florida State was patient. They said, hey, here's the incremental improvement that needs to occur. They made that incremental improvement, and then boom... In 2022, they finally break through, finish in the top 25, and things here in 2023 are looking like they're going to be a top 10 team in the preseason. Now, when you look at where things are for the Florida Gators, things aren't looking like they're going to just flip the magic switch. They're going to get to, you know, nine and three. Look at the schedule. I mean, five and seven would be six and six, would be an accomplishment. Five and seven is likely. Four and eight is realistic. It's possible. I and mean, it's definitely possible, especially given the con- inconsistencies of last year's bunch. If they can get to a bowl game, that is progress. Feel great about it. You're saying, well, they got to a bowl game last year. I get it. But last year's team had a top 10 pick at quarterback. Okay? They have things that they need to grow on. And if they... Basically, you might have to hit rock bottom before you get there. But just be patient. Be patient Florida fans. I believe in Billy Napier and I believe in the process that he's trying to establish.
1: All right. Next question comes from Keith in Iowa. Matt Campbell has been at Iowa state for seven years, but just finished his first losing season since 2016, which was year one. Do you think it was smart for him to stay at Iowa state or should he have jumped and pushed to get one of the big time jobs when his name was being floated around? Well, I think it just depends on the person, right?
0: Like you would think, hey, I work at this job and then I jump to the next big job and I'm going to use Iowa State as a stepping stone. Like that's not how Matt Campbell sees it. Like I've had these conversations with him before. He has always said, "Look, man, I'm a Mount Union guy. I'm a Division 3 guy. I don't need the bells and whistles. Like I want to coach my way. I want to do things my way." I want to go out and I want to recruit the players that I want to recruit. And I don't want people meddling in my program. So if he were to take a job, say, like, using an example, a Wisconsin, because that job was open last year. I'm not saying he was in the running at all. I'm just suggesting, you know, hey, that job was open at one point. If he were to take, say, Florida, because that was open two years ago. If he were to, say, take Tennessee, that was open two years ago. The Florida fans, if he were to have recruited a three-star quarterback, would flip out. Why would you take him? He can't play. We need five stars. We need four stars. Matt Campbell has no desire, nor does he have any want to be involved with situations that are going to scrutinize his every move. Like He wants his guys. He wants to develop his guys. And he feels as though Iowa State has given him everything that he needs to be successful. And he doesn't really necessarily want to operate you know, under the crazy bright lights that would come with a big-time premier job in a lot of people's eyes. In his eyes, from Mount Union to Iowa State, he's already hit the big time. And I, to me... I think he's done a heck of a job at Iowa State. I think he's still universally respected amongst his peers, and he's universally respected among people that have watched college football for the last handful of years. But either way, is Iowa State going to be a top five, top six, top 10 team anytime soon? I don't know. Based on what I saw last year, I don't think it's likely. It's possible. I don't know if it's necessarily likely, though. Either way, I think Matt Campbell's really happy. And I don't think Matt Campbell needs anything else other than just coaching his guys, getting good kids that want to grow and learn and develop and get better. So I don't think he's disappointed with the decision he's made. He's turned down opportunities. He's had plenty of things presented to him and he's turned them down. I think he's very satisfied with where he's at. And I hope because I think it's great that Iowa state has a great program and a great head coach. I think it's great that he's decided to turn those opportunities down to help build something at a place that has not experienced consistent success at any point in their story history as a program. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Continue to like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. We will continue to dive into some of these teams that are kicking off their spring football seasons here over the next couple of weeks. We have so many teams that we want to get to, and we will do it. So keep it locked in right here on ESPN's YouTube channel, or if you're here with us via the podcast, subscribe and make sure that you consume all the content that we're putting out on a week to week basis. We so appreciate you. I promise you it does not go unnoticed. If you want to be a part of the mailbag, hit us up at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. We appreciate the questions that you've sent in already. We will continue to get to those in the future. We have a long list. We're getting to them one by one. I can promise you that. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Jack Foster and Mark Kubiak, I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day and remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.